Pray with me. Father, what a glorious day it will be when you return to bring us to glory with you. And Father, teach our hearts even this morning how to pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Teach us, Lord, how to look forward to that great and glorious day. Lord, this morning as we open our eyes and and our, our copy of Scripture, we ask that you would open our minds to the truth of your word. And Lord, that you would teach us and instruct us. And Lord, that you would transform our lives and teach us the truth of your word and, and teach us, Lord, how to, how to rejoice in the eternal hope of glory that you have given us in Christ. Thank you, Father. We ask this morning that our own hearts and minds would be brought near to the throne of grace. Lord, I pray for my own lips and heart. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Does it encourage you to know that someone else is praying for you? When you get a, it should, all right, when you get a, a note or a letter from someone that says, I, I've been praying for you, uh, I've been lifting you, or, or when you get multiple people that have told you, I've been praying for you, I've been lifting you up in prayer, that, that ought to lift our spirit to let us know that we have brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God who are going before God's throne on our behalf. That ought to bring us great joy. It ought to bring us great comfort and great peace as well. This morning, the text I want us to see in John chapter 17 is, is an example of that where Jesus, our, our Savior, has prayed for us even way back whenever He was walking on earth with His apostles. And we have this, mor- we have this morning in the text, John chapter 17, what's called the high priestly prayer. This is where Jesus has been praying for himself, he prays for his apostles, and he prays for all who believe in the apostles' message. And so this morning, I want us to look at this text, and I want us to read it together, and we'll stop at verse uh, verse 19, and we'll finish verse 20 towards the end of the message from verses 20 through 26. But if you found your place in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, beginning in verse 1, would you... Uh, Would you say, Amen? Follow along as I read. Jesus spoke these things. In lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. 
For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me. That they may be one as we are. While I was, in, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. Which you have given me and I guarded them. And not one of them perished but the son of perdition. So that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. They, uh, even as I am not of the world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. The overarching tone of Jesus' prayer to the Father is for the Father to receive glory in everything. Uh, that is His chief mission on earth. And we need to hear that loud and clear. It's kind of the, it, it, it sets the, it, it's the, the canopy that goes over everything that we talk about this morning. It's all under the glory of God, that God would receive glory in everything. And so this morning, I, I, we see in this text that Jesus reveals His passion to bring God glory by accomplishing the Father's mission. That's what Jesus seeks to do, and that's what this prayer begins focusing on in verses 1-5. through five. He wants to finish strong and, and accomplish the Father's mission. And so this morning, I want us to be challenged by Jesus' mission and purpose. His mission and purpose in the world is that we would hear and heed his prayer for today. His mission, and, I'm sorry, his mission and purpose in the world is that he would bring eternal life to all who hear him and look at him and see his life and, and believe in him. That he would grant eternal life to all who profess faith. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to hear and heed his prayer for us today as we walk through this text. And so first we begin in verses one through five by seeing that Jesus prays for himself. He prays for himself in verses one through five. Jesus prays for the father to be glorified through the son, completing his mission. This is his desire The Son, Jesus, wants to complete His mission, and He wants that to bring glory to God. So the question is, what is Christ's mission? What's His mission? Christ's mission is to make God known in a personal way, and it's to bring about redemption from sin for God's people. 
That is Jesus Christ's mission. And he does this through his sacrificial death on the cross. That's what Jesus is about. What we need to hear loud and clear this morning is that Jesus didn't just live a life as a good man in order to help us to feel good about ourselves when we gather together for worship on Sunday morning. No, no, we need to hear this and feel it deep in our soul that Christ died, that we might have eternal life. He gave up his life in order that we, our souls, would be saved. And so this morning, I want us to first see that as Jesus prays for himself, we need to see the cross is foundational to the mission. It's in verses 1 through 5, and particularly in verse 1, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. This is the culmination of Christ's mission. Jesus requests, glorify your Son, Father, that the Son may glorify you. And it points us to the cross as Jesus' means of glorifying the Father. How does Jesus bring glory to the Father? Well, He does it by going to the cross and saving. He, He becomes the propitiation, or He becomes the sacrifice for sin in order that all who believe in Him might have eternal life. And so the finished work of Christ through the cross is Jesus' testimony by which he requests that the Father would now glorify him. You see that in verse 5? He says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before the world existed, bring me back to this glory with you. And so verse 5 closes with a similar request that he opens with in verse 1. And that request is the supreme exaltation of the Father by the work of the Son. And the supreme glorification of the Son through His obedience on the cross. And so this is what Jesus is praying to the Father. So He says the cross is foundational to the mission and we must see that today as the church. But not only is the cross foundational to the mission we see that the substance of his mission was this, giving eternal life. Giving eternal life is the substance of Christ's mission. We see it in verses 2 through 4. Look at what he says in verse 2. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. You see, this is God's eternal plan. His eternal plan get this, has been to call out of the world a people for himself to eternal life. And it's been to do that through the ministry of the Son, which is Jesus, on the cross. And so Jesus gives eternal life to God's own people. These are the very words that Jesus has been speaking throughout his earthly ministry. I want to invite you just to flip back a few pages in the Gospel of John to chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. And follow along as we just kind of see how Jesus has been speaking about giving eternal life. In chapter 3, verse 6, he says, That which is to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Then verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it is going 
are from where it is, where it comes or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. You see what he hear what he's saying here. The Holy Spirit is at work in the life of a person that he's working on, that God is drawing to him. And the Spirit works in the life of an individual to bring them to a point of confession and belief. If you fast forward to John chapter 6, verse 37, we see where Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. And then he goes on, but there are some, in verse 64, some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted him from the Father. If you fast forward to John chapter 10, you see similar words that Jesus has been speaking. In verse 26, he says, But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Do you see? You see what he's been saying and teaching? Eternal life comes through him. It has been God's eternal plan to call his people out of the world through the work of Christ on the cross. So we see the cross is foundational to the giving of eternal life. In John fifteen nineteen, Jesus tells the disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. And then he goes on to tell them, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you, but if they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. And so back in chapter 17, verse 3, Hear what Jesus says. He says, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God. In other words, there's no other God by which man can be saved. There's only one. This is eternal life. And so we think back to John 14, 6, when Jesus makes that definitive statement, declaring, I am, right, the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Me. So knowing God, it's more than just intellectual. You see, knowing God is relational. God calls us to relationship with Him. This is the familial aspect of what we read through the pages of Scripture. Jesus calling God the Father and the Father calling Jesus the Son. This is an an understanding relationally how we we are to come to know God. We are to know him as one who who entreats us and who loves us. And so God created us to live in relationship and fellowship with one another. And see, the cross of Christ is the only way by which we can truly come to know God. 
and the Christian community that we live in and the fellowship that we, we have, it's all built on the cross of Christ. This is primary in the Christian life. Without verse 4, where Jesus says, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do, we would have no basis for Christian fellowship outside of the cross of Christ. And so Jesus bears the cross and he brings salvation to God's people through the lowliness and the shame and the pain of the cross. Get this, for the glory of God. He does it all for the glory of God. Of God. So we then glorify God by believing in Jesus Christ, in what He has come and what He has done through the cross. It's through Christ's death on the cross and the glory of God in Christ that we are able to worship Him. And we are able to come before the Lord and bring Him our praise. And, and this morning, come before Him praising Him and confessing before Him and thanking Him for all that He has done in our lives. So, but I want you to see this. Jesus doesn't only pray for Himself. Jesus also prays for the apostles. We see that in verses 6 through 19. He prays for the apostles. So Jesus prays for the Father to be glorified through the apostles carrying out their mission. And so as Jesus intercedes for the apostles here, it's with this specific desire that they would carry out the mission he has given them. He has entrusted to them. The question then is, what was the apostles' mission? The apostles' mission was this, to establish the church Upon Christ's finished work on the cross. You see that? That's the apostles' mission. It's to establish the church. He says in verses 6 through 10, I've manifested your name to them. And he goes on to say, They've been faithful. In other words, they've kept your word. I've made your name known to them. You know, a name carries meaning, right? It communicates something. It tells us about who a person is. I'm interested to know if this will work, so just go with me here, okay? So uh, I'm going to say a name, and I want you to just say the first thing that comes to your mind. I I think this is safe, all right? Uh, If you need a filter, don't speak, all right? Uh, GlaxoSmithKline. Drugs. Yeah, Yeah, it just, it comes to mind, right? That, it's associated uh, what's that? Okay, Coke. Soda, right? Some people say soda. Other people say diet. Other people say specifically Coca-Cola. Some people just have this general category, right, of, of Coke. When, when you say this name, they just have this general category of soda. But we need to understand that names carry meaning. They, they communicate something. Jesus says this, I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Here's the point that he's making. In the Old Testament, we see God changing the names of people, right, according to the purpose for which he's called them. So, for instance, we've got Abram. His name was changed to Abraham. And when his name was changed to Abraham, it was significant because he was going to be the father of many nations, our Sarah's name turned. Our Sarai turned to uh, named Sarah, and and her name uh, meaning princess. Or we've got Isaac, 
Isaac and Abraham and Sarah's son, his name meaning what? Laughter, right? Because he brings joy into the home. Or negatively, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 3, when Pashur opposed the purpose of God by having Jeremiah beaten and put into the stocks. Jeremiah says his name was changed to Magor Misabib, right? That, well, anyway, it, it was. It was changed to Magor Misabib, and it means terror on every side. It speaks of what is to come for this, this man because of his uh, persecuting the prophet Jeremiah. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Father, I've taken these men that you've given me, and I've personally revealed who you are to them. I've taught them of your character and your word. In fact, Jesus could say this so confidently that in John chapter 14, verse 9, he says, have I been so long with you and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You see, Jesus, through his life and ministry, here's what he's done to the, to the apostles. He's, he's enlarged their understanding of the nature of God, of his character and of his word and of his works and so he says i've manifested your name to them father and they are faithful this is perhaps one 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 of the most encouraging things to me in this prayer it's found in verse 10 or verse the at the end there excuse me of verse 6 they have kept your word and in verse 10 he says i have been glorified in them jesus is saying these men whom you gave me Out of the world, he's saying they've kept your word, they're faithful, right? But if we read back through the gospel accounts, we see how these men have fumbled and they have faltered and they have messed up. They have missed the boat. What about when they all get in the boat and Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they start talking about, we didn't bring any of the bread that we had left over, right? That wasn't the point. I mean, these guys had, had missed it. What about when, G, when Peter rebukes Jesus, when he's telling him he's going to the cross, and Peter says, no, Lord, you're not going there. Another, over my dead body. And Jesus has to say, get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. So he says, they've kept your word. These men have been faithful. And here's the reason that's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to me because I miss it. I miss the boat. You know what? We all miss the boat. We all stumble and falter and fall in sin. But here's what they had caught a glimpse of. They had caught a glimpse that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And they knew that he was the one who had come down from the Father. And they were ready to follow this man. They had committed their lives to following Christ. They had sold everything, given it away, and they had come to follow him. It's amazing to me that Jesus would say, they've kept your word, right? They've kept it. And on top of that, that Jesus would say, they have glorified me through their actions, through the things. And so what Jesus does is he looks at these dear brothers. I think the same way that he looks at us. He looks at them with grace-filled eyes and says, Father, these are the ones These are the ones who have believed. These are the ones that that are going to go and to start the church. These are the ones that we are going to use to proclaim the gospel and to begin the work in the church and see the gospel go throughout the world. It's going to be these men who have fumbled and who have faltered, but yet they are professing and believing upon me. 
just want to challenge us, church, that though we fumble and though we falter and though we stumble and mess up, God likewise desires to work in and through each of our lives in order to take the mission of Christ and to make it known in the world, to to take the gospel and to proclaim it in and through the world. And so these are the men who have believed, he says. These are the ones who have kept God's word. And I want you to know that keeping God's word has to do with believing the testimony about Christ about who he is, who he claims to be. A person can't be a Christian and deny the incarnation and deny the resurrection or deny the ascension. You cannot be a Christian and deny those foundational truths of Christianity. And here's what happens. It impacts all of our life. Every area of our life is transformed and touched by the gospel. It impacts every relationship you have. It impacts every encounter. It should impact every encounter that we have with other people. It ought to affect our fellowship within the body and our community with one another. So Jesus prays for the apostles. He says, I've manifested your name to them. They're faithful. But look, he also prays for them that they would be sanctified through his word for their mission in the world. In verses 11 through 19, we see this. Particularly, let's jump down to verse 17. Verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So to sanctify something or someone is to set it or set them apart. And it comes from the word holy. And so to be sanctified or to be set apart is to be set apart to holiness. Jesus is asking the Father to set these men apart specifically in truth. And then he says, your word is truth. The idea is that God would make these men, these apostles, holy like himself. And that they would be set apart to the purpose and the mission that God has in the world in Christ. And so in other words, what he's saying is, Father, grow these men so they're grounded in the truth of your word. You see, God's word is the sanctifying vehicle and his Holy Spirit teaches the apostles and get this, his Holy Spirit teaches us. And so we could pray this very same prayer, Lord, sanctify me in your truth. Your word is true. Where do we turn to be sanctified and set apart and put on course for the purpose and the mission of God in the world? We turn to his word, right? I mean, we look into God's word, and that's where we, that's where we find our, our marching orders, so to speak. In John 16, 13, Jesus says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Now, what was the mission of the apostles? Well, it was to go and to begin the church. Where were they to do this at? Look at what he says in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus is sending his apostles into the world to engage in mission. So we can look forward in the narrative of Acts and see in Acts chapter 2, 
where Peter's preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And, and it's the begin, there, there are the beginnings there of, of the church and the community of faith drawing together. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. He continues and he speaks of Christ as saying, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up, putting an end to the agony of death. And what happened at the end of that sermon? 3,000 souls were added to the church that day are continuing to progress through the, na- the narrative of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, the narrative continues where we see the apostles preaching and teaching the word and meeting the needs of the fledgling congregation. And then look further into the narrative of Acts and see that Peter was preaching the gospel to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and the Gentiles began to believe. Right? This is, this is Jesus praying for the apostles, and then we can trace it out in Scripture and see how, the, how Jesus' prayer was fulfilled in the life of the apostles. Or in Acts chapter 10, where the, uh, Acts 15, where the Jerusalem Council gets together and begins to discuss the ministry into the, unto the Gentiles. Or when Saul, the convert, becoming Paul, was sent on the Gentile mission. You see, this was the mission of the apostles. They were being sent into the world, right? And today we stand upon the apostles' message, believing because of the apostles' message and what they preached. And we too, as we'll see in a moment, have the responsibility to carry out this mission and purpose of the gospel into the world. And so Jesus prays, Not only for their sanctification, he prays for their protection. In verse 11 and 12 and 15, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Verse 11 and verse 12, I was keeping them in your name. I guarded them and not one of them perished, but Judas, the son of perdition. You see, as the good shepherd, Jesus has guarded the flock. He's guarded the disciples. And now he prays, Father, keep them in faithful allegiance to you as I'm coming to you. Keep them in protection. Keep them in your name and in your word. According to verse 6, they have kept your word. Keep them in your name. So here's the thing. When Christ's disciples walk in faithful allegiance to God, it results in unity of the mission. We don't have to look too far into the narrative of Acts to see how Disunity came into the church and was beginning to threaten the mission in Acts chapter 6 where the Hebrew widows and the Hellenistic widows were arguing because they were missing out on the daily distribution of food. So the point is Jesus desires that they would be kept in the Father's name and that they would be unified in their mission. And so Jesus prays for protection. Keep them in your name. Don't let them get distracted. Don't let them be discouraged whenever I come to you and they're saddened that I've died on the cross. Don't let them be discouraged when there's grumbling in the midst of the congregation. Don't let them be discouraged when things don't go as they thought and desired that they would. So Jesus prays for protection and he prays for unity in verses 11 through 14. The only way the apostles could be unified with one another is through their allegiance and their loyalty to the truth of God's word as it was revealed in Christ. 
Jesus said, I've given them your word. Sanctify them while they're living in the world so that my joy might be in them. Jesus' desire is that his disciples, his apostles, would accomplish the mission that he had given them. And so he prays for this. And I want us to see that our mission is an extension of Christ's mission. Before we move to verse 20, I want to show you one more thing from verse 19. And he says, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus is using Old Testament language here to speak about consecrating or setting apart the offering for sin. And as the high priest and also the one who is being offered, Jesus is saying, I'm setting myself apart for the sake of your glory, Father. And in the same way that I'm setting myself apart, I'm asking that the disciples would be set apart in order to engage in the mission that I've called them to, that I've sent them out into the world. So what we need to see here is that Jesus prays for himself, he prays for the apostles, and he prays for all who believe the apostles' message in verses 20 through 26. Follow along at verse 20 as I read. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. And so in verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I've known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I've made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus prays for the Father to be glorified through the church, understanding and embracing its mission. And so, what's the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to bring glory to God by living out Christ's mission in the world. This is the proclamation and the spread of the gospel throughout the entire world. And the church is to do this through what he says is a united witness. This means our testimony for Christ is to unite us together as we live out our faith in fellowship with one another. And he says this becomes an evangelistic tool as the world looks on. And so in verse 20, he says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. That is the rest of Christianity. He says, I'm praying for all the disciples who believe because of the word of the apostles, that they would be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. 
You see, the believer's unity is first concerned with being in right relationship with God. So Jesus' prayer for the apostles can also be applied to the believers today. As we said a moment ago, Lord, sanctify me in your truth. Your word is truth. Understanding that, that unity with God the Father and Christ the Son comes through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God's word conforms us and molds us and shapes us. So that as we follow him and and walk with him, we're growing into his likeness. And not only does it lead us in unity with the father, it also leads us in unity with one another. Because our spiritual union with God through Christ draws us ever closer to perfection, as he talks about in verse 23, that they may be perfected in unity. You see, our minds and and our lives are being shaped by the gospel and by communion with God. And as we spend time in his word, as we devote ourselves to the, the study and the reading of his word, then we're being shaped and God's word is 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 sanctifying us. And we're understanding the truth and the mission and the purpose that Christ has called us to go out as the church into the world as believers together unified. And so it leads us to unity with one another in Christian fellowship. And you see, we have, we have community in Christ because of the cross. That's the foundation of our faith. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross unifies us together for eternal life. And so one of the purposes of this unity is the evangelistic appeal that it gives to the world around us as the church is unified together in faith and knowledge of the word in carrying out the mission of reaching the world, of spreading the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. As this happens and the church is unified in doing it, the world looks on and sees and the world is drawn to Christ because of the testimony of the church. That's why he says in verse 21, So that the world may believe that you sent me. And so we see the purpose. The purpose is evangelism, verses 21 and 23. Jesus desires that the world see the unity of his people as it's worked out in relationship. And when the people of the world observe such living, they come to believe in the message of the gospel through our lives through our unity together and i think inherent in jesus's prayer for unity is the prayer for us to be like-minded with the father and the son through the illumination of the holy spirit as we read his word and so god is transforming our minds as we're coming to his word and so we see the purpose of our unity is evangelism as we carry out the mission of christ in the world And then there's a promise. And the promise is future glory. We see it in verses 24 through 26. And the future glory is this in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
see, the purpose of our lives together is evangelism and fellowship to glorify God. And the future promise is future glory. Jesus desires that we would see his glory. I remember uh, one of my children coming to me. They were so excited. They had really just done this tremendous thing in, uh, in cleaning their room of all things. But they, he was just so excited and was bragging about it and came to me and wanted me to come and to see. And he was so excited to show me the cleanliness of his room and how he had just given all of his time and all of his effort to get it clean. And so when I walked in, I was praising him because he had done such a great job. He had worked so hard in getting this done, right? Well, in, in some way, a much grander way, I think this is what Jesus is saying. He is delighting and he's desiring to show his, his bride, his church, his glory. That we would be brought into future glory. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so they would see my glory. And then part of the mission of the church is that we would bring as many as we can into that glory, into that presence of God. And so that we together as the church would be unified in the mission, carrying out the gospel, evangelism, sharing the hope of the gospel, and bringing others into relationship with Christ. Why? So that they would see his future glory. You see, the church is to delight in bringing glory to God through carrying out his mission in the world. I want to challenge us this morning in response to God's word, first to see that the cross is foundational to the mission. Is the cross foundational in your life? Do you know the eternal life that comes from knowing the one true God? Secondly, I'd like to challenge us to respond in this way, that we would embrace God's purpose and mission as the apostles did in going out into the world, that we too would embrace the mission of Christ through the church that is going out into the world and evangelizing the lost, sharing the gospel, living in unity so that we draw others to Christ. And then thirdly, I would ask you to respond in a way of asking yourself this question, am I living in unity within the body? In other words, are others drawn to Christ because of the way the gospel is displayed in my life or through my life in interaction with others. I want to challenge you to respond in in one of those three ways this morning or perhaps there's another way that the Lord would be speaking to your heart in response to him. But as I close us in prayer, I want to invite you to meditate upon the truth of God's word this morning and think, consider your own walk with the Lord. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, it's our chief goal and desire to bring you glory. And Lord, it's our desire that we as your children would heed and hear your prayer for us, that we would walk in unity. And Lord, that we as your people would carry out the mission that you've you've called us to in this world, namely to make the cross known to spread the proclamation of the gospel. And so, Lord, teach us how to do that. Help us to see the opportunities that you give us. And and Father, I pray that you would strengthen us this morning.
to walk with you and to follow you and to surrender all that we have to walking with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?